Okay, um, go, go with me to Luke chapter 16. Um, if you're new this morning, uh, I don't want to upset you, but I'm going to talk about money. And the reason I'm telling you that is if you're new or you haven't been for a while, is this is the first time in five, well, apart from the first in this series, this is the first time in five years I've talked about money. It's not something I do. Um, and it's not necessarily something I feel uh, personally uh, excited about. And part of that is that I've got sympathy with, uh, with perhaps many of you when you feel that whenever anybody in church talks about money, um, you, you feel a bit manipulated and you feel it's hyped or you feel under pressure. And uh, that shouldn't be. You know, I, I know what it's like to, to deal with that year in, year out for many years of my life. And um, so it, it tends to make us shy away. But I, I want to look at something that's really key this morning, that's really important. And Jesus says it's really important, so therefore I'm taking his word. Okay? And um, so, whilst I've got great sympathy with us that feel a bit battered and bruised whenever anybody talks about money in church, um, it's also really important that we understand how the kingdom works. Because if we don't understand how the kingdom works, we're left to human resource and human ability and human talent, and quite honestly, it doesn't work. It ends up in a human mess. But more importantly, even when it does work, it ends up with stress and pressure and long hours and messed up family life. And, and life is hard. So one of the things that Jesus said, he said, I came to give you life and give you life in all its abundance. And, and a lot of us don't feel like we've got life all, in all its abundance when it gets to Wednesday night, 10 p.m. or whatever. We feel tired. And, and part of that is not just that... It's not wrong to feel tired. You know, we, we, we want to do our best and give of our best. But when we feel pressured, stressed, uh, worn down, overwhelmed all the time, that's not right. And that suggests to us we're not living by kingdom principles because that's not what God had for us. So I'm going to start, and this morning I'm going to start with perhaps one of the most puzzling parables that Jesus tells. And, it, and it's puzzling because it, it, it doesn't, you know, like when he tells it, he goes, you go, well, that's not right. So basically what he's doing, um, he's talking to um, his disciples. So he's talking to believers. And when Jesus is talking to his disciples, what he's trying to do is teach them kingdom ways. Because he wants them to be able to go on and do what he was doing. And he wants them to be able to uh, live from faith uh, to see the same things in their ministry as he's been showing them. Yeah? So he's discipling them. And he tells his story and he basically talks about a rich man who had a steward. Now remember last time we talked about that we're stewards, that we are blessed to be a blessing. And we're not restricted by budgets, thankfully, we're restricted only by the level of our faith and trust in God, because he provides for everything we need. Basically, everything we have comes from him, and we're to be stewards of what he's given us. And so, this rich man, he's talking to his steward, and, and somebody's made an accusation, which is true, that this guy has been basically wasting uh, the money of the master and fitting it away, perhaps probably dishonestly, and... The rich man calls him in and tells him that he's going to sack him, basically. Okay? 
So the steward says within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I can't dig. I'm ashamed to beg. And I've resolved to do that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So basically what he does is he, he, he basically says, I'm going to lose my job. What can I do that's going to help? That, that's going to help me after I've lost my job? So what he does is he calls in all the rich man's debtors and he does a deal with them. And he basically says, you know, if you owe 50, I'll take 10. If you owe 100, I'll take 20. And he collects it all in. And we, we found this, this, that the master comes back and then he does this bizarre thing. He commends the steward. He says, well done. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it, when you just read it like that? And you go like, what are you on about, Jesus? I mean, you have to give him a bit more credence, like him being God and all that. You're going, there must be something in here. So he says, the master commended the unjust steward because he dealt shrewdly. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. What Jesus is saying is that was a wise thing to do. He used the money or his position in order to win himself something of lasting benefit when, he, when, when it was all over with his job. And Jesus is saying, he's not saying that behaviour is right. But what he is saying is that money has a purpose. And you can use money in order to benefit yourself and your future. And, and, and the point's not that he's saying that's okay to behave like that. He's drawing a contrast. What he's saying is, come on, wake up, disciples. Because even people in the world know how to use money to win friends. The world is better at this than the kingdom. Because the world appreciates that money can be used as a tool to do things with. But you, disciples, you haven't got this. And then he goes on and he says this. I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail or die, they receive you into an everlasting home. What's Jesus saying? Some translations say receive you into eternal dwellings. Jesus is saying, what you do with your money here has eternal consequences. And, and he's saying, like, think like the world thinks, because actually there's a lesson you can learn from the world, which is use your money to gain people for the kingdom. Because when you gain people from the kingdom, eternally, when you die, they're going to be standing there waiting for you to greet you in because they're going to know that you contributed to them being there for eternity and they're going to be delighted to see you when you walk up to the pearly gates. Can you see what he's saying? So he's saying, don't, don't, don't dismiss the, the, the fact that the, 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 this appears unscrupulous. Learn the wisdom from it that actually money has a purpose and money can be used to win people. And so when you win people, when you give, it will produce people that you're going to get to know for eternity. And he's saying that, that's worthwhile. Now, here's, listen to what he says. 
verses 10 and 11. Now, this is where I want to concentrate this morning. He that is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in that which is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in righteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? So what Jesus is doing, okay, I'm going to try and walk you through this because there's a really important principle here. And, you know, when I saw this years ago, it actually shocked me the first time I saw it. And then actually I thought, yeah, Jesus is right, you know, as always. <laughs> it doesn't mean I like the principle, but it does mean it is right. And this is what Jesus said, if you're faithful in small things, that's serving, ministering under somebody else's leadership, Bible study, <coughs> prayer, then God will increase your responsibility. Sometimes we try and increase our responsibility and get the position, but it's actually God who promotes within the kingdom. And, and the way God works is he says, you've got to be responsible in the little things and faithful in the little things before I'll trust you with the big things. And the reason that quite a lot, you know, a lot of people get in trouble and, and mess up in the kingdom is they want the big things and they, they want to see the big things in their life before they're responsible in the little things. Now here's the, the shocking bit. In the context, Jesus takes that general principle and he says, right, now I'm going to talk about money. And he says something that's really shocking if you, when you read that. He says, money is the least thing in the kingdom of heaven. How many of you think money is the least thing in your life? Being honest with yourself. Jesus saying, kingdom of heaven terms, money is the least thing. Money's, money's the first thing we should nail, is what he's saying. Money, money is, is where we need to get things right first. Now, that's difficult for us in the world and the life that goes on around us to think like that. Because everything in this world, money is the most important thing. Like, we all put stickers up on Facebook, don't you? You know, money can't buy me love and all that sort of stuff, but you go, I'd like to give it a try. <laughs> you know, and then we go, just because you've got money doesn't mean you're happy. And I'm going, I'd like to give that a try as well. Because <laughs> we think like that. And Jesus is saying money is the least thing. It's the least area of our lives for trusting God with, is what he's saying. Let me put that a different way. He's saying that finances are the first principle. They are the training ground for the rest of our faith. They are the training ground for the rest of our kingdom living. And, and that's what really surprised me when, when I saw this the first time years ago. Jesus is saying, if you can get right with finances, you will see the bigger things in your life. So finances are a way of God training you 
to believe for the bigger things. I'm trying to take this slowly so you, you, you get it. He talks about this thing called mammon. You know, we all know about horrible mammon, filthy mammon, all that sort of stuff, don't we? we we've heard about that. But anybody know what mammon is? Mammon is more than money, okay? Mammon is a word that came out of an area or a region of the world uh, in Old Testament times called the region of the Chaldees. Why is that significant? It's significant because if you remember from the last preach when I was talking about Abraham, Abraham gets taken away from the region of the Chaldees and gets told to leave behind all his dependency, all his provision there, and go out and trust God. Mammon is the trust in riches and wealth instead of the trust in God. Now, Abraham, and therefore God's people, have been told to leave that behind. Mammon is that, that trust in something other than God. And it comes from a root word that also means confidence. Where you place your confidence in life. And over time, what happened in that region is that that, that um, word or that idea got overtaken by a demonic spirit of avarice and mammon became a god in that area. And... Basically, that that God was there and the idea behind that God was that all uh, confidence in life comes from the gaining of wealth. And so it was a demonic spirit that was directly opposite to what God had been teaching. So when Jesus says mammon, that's what he's conjuring up. He's saying you can have your confidence in one of two places. You can have your confidence in God or you can have your confidence in wealth and riches that I told Abraham to walk away because I was going to bless him to be a blessing. And you can't have both. Your confidence is in one place or the other. Um, I'm not sure we, we don't try both. I think sometimes we can go like this, bounce about between the two. But Jesus is saying you can't have both. Okay. So money is the training and testing ground of trust. In the area of faith, money is the least. And if you don't get your approach to money sorted, you won't see the greater things of the kingdom in your life. So some of us go, well, you know, why, why aren't I seeing what I'm praying for? Why aren't I seeing what I'm asking God for? And, it, and it's about that our faith isn't there because we haven't learned the faith in the least of things to extend it for the greater of things. Now, let me just like be clear. It isn't because God is making finances a condition of answering prayer. Okay, you've got to got that, get that out of your head. God's not saying finances are a condition of me answering prayer or you getting better things. Okay? What he's saying is, unless you learn to trust me in finances, you won't be able to trust me when it comes down to the bigger things. You won't have developed your faith muscle to do that. Because if you can't trust me in the least of things, how are you going to trust me for the bigger of things? You see, the problem's not on God's side, the problem's on our side. That we 
you know, the, the whole of the kingdom works by faith. For, for the word faith, just insert trust. Because sometimes you can like, well, I don't know if I've got faith. I need more faith. I need more faith. All it's saying, all the word faith is, is you trust God and you act on the basis of trusting God. So if you want to develop trust in God, Jesus is saying the best place to start is your finances. And, we, and, and my, my problem with that, and it's probably kind of your problem for many of you as well, is, man, that seems hard. It seems hard because we are so ingrained in society. And, it, and, and this is where it, the rubber really hits the road about how different the church is from the world. You see, there was a time when, in history where the church was recognised as kind and good to the poor and radical and lived radically and lived by faith. By the time I was born, the church had the reputation that the only thing it was interested in was money for the roof fund. And we were holding coffee mornings and jumble sales to raise money all over the place. Now it's worse than that. Now we have a reputation for manipulating money out of people. Um, and that, that, that's just the way the enemy works. He tries to turn what is good into something that is bad. And the kingdom works by faith. So what Jesus is saying, if you haven't learned to trust God with finances, you're probably struggling to trust him in other areas of your life. So take a health check. Now what, what I say, because I feel quite vulnerable stood up here, um, is like, don't get mad at me. Okay? I'm just repeating what Jesus said. If you want to get mad at somebody, get mad at Jesus. I'll duck, you shout at him, okay? Because I'm just saying what Jesus said. I'm not saying anything he didn't say. And, and, and part of the issue, you know, I, I, part of my job is that faith life is active on social media and things like that. And the reason for that is we went for years not being active on social media and people would turn up having been in Cambridge for four or five years saying, never heard of Faith Life, but I wish I'd found out sooner because I'd love to have been part of this church, but I'm leaving town in two weeks' time. But I've been here for five years, never heard of it. And, and that's partly because we were active on social media. And one of the things about being active on social media is you put a post up, and I, and I put a post up, I think it was last week, or the, it could have been the week before, uh, a and basically, people were writing long essays on this post. And, you know, I got one long essay, and it was saying, you have to read the Bible in the context of, of the historical significance and what happened at the time, and, and culture has shifted, and you have to reinterpret it in the light of culture. And, 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 and I get to the end of this, and quite apart from the fact I didn't understand half the long words, <laughs> I got to the end of it, and I thought, so how could you ever believe anything if it's just all shiftable? You see, God said, I'll watch over my word to keep it. God's word is something you put faith in. Now, you see, the trouble is we don't read awkward passages like that. And until a few years ago, I'd never even heard ever that passage preached on. And the reason is we, we don't like the awkward bits of God's word because it's actually a strong word, isn't it, that 
finances are the training ground for faith. And, and we don't like to hear that because that's a real challenge to us. But the truth is, you know, we, Cheryl and I have been doing this long enough now to know that we've seen people go up and down and all over the place in their relationship with God. And they get rocked by anything that comes along. Like if every, anything's fine, we're excited, we come, we're at church, we're, we're top of the world, we're really going for it. But as soon as something comes along that, that knocks them, they're all over the place. And, you know, that their relationship with God seems to go up and down by what's in front of them. Their relationship goes up and down by what their circumstances are. Which is kind of peculiar because God's unmoved and unchanged, and he's exactly the same as he was, whatever your circumstances. But, but we go up and down according to our circumstances. And, and the thing that Cheryl and I have noticed, and we were talking about this a few weeks ago, is there is a huge correlation between people who struggle with trusting God when everything's shaking and going up and down, and, and they go up and down according to good or bad days, there's a huge correlation between that and how people handle the finances. I'm not saying that's always the case. I'm just saying you can tell a pattern that people who, who struggle to trust God with their finances are also the ones that are going up and down all the time. Because what Jesus said is true. And we have to take Jesus' words as true. We, they're, not, they're, not, they're kind of not negotiable because he's God. Now, let me, let me go on to the second part of what I wanted to communicate this morning. Financial giving to the kingdom is never about money. It's about trust. And we've got to understand that. Because if we don't understand that, we'll get into all sorts of weird stuff and weird practices and weird ideas, and, and we'll find ourselves in a real mess. So having said that, Jesus having said that we've got to learn to trust God with our finances, we've actually also got to get it right about how we trust God with our finances. Because we have to re root this in the core message of this church, which is we are saved by grace through faith. We live under a grace covenant. Yeah? Say amen. Amen. Yeah, keep you awake, you know. <laughs> let, me, let me show you the contrast. Um, in Mark chapter 10, don't worry about turning to it. Jesus, it's a, it's a pretty well-known story. Jesus encounters this guy and he's described as the rich young ruler. We know him as the rich young ruler. And he, and he basically comes running up to Jesus. It says he came running up to Jesus. Because he thinks he's going to get some good news. You, you don't come running up to Jesus and you think, unless you think it's going to turn out well, do you? And, and he kneels before Jesus and he gets himself all in a mess by calling Jesus a good teacher. And Jesus says, I'm not a good teacher unless you're going to call me God and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, his question is, um, basically because he's going to think he's going to get a good answer, he says, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus, because we're going like, okay, well, we, we're... We're grace people. We need. We, we understand. Jesus does something really peculiar because he basically says, "Okay, you want to know what you can do 
to get eternal life. Keep your commands. And the rich young guy says, I've kept them all. He said, you know, I know the commands. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. You see, if you think you can do something to earn eternal life, Jesus is going to confront you with the law. Because you can't. And you can never keep it. However good you think you are, you can never be that good. So this guy thinks, I'm great. And Jesus said, okay, let me ask you another question. Um, why don't you go and give away everything that you've got? Now we're getting to our kind of the crux of it, aren't we? So suddenly this guy's gone being from, I'm front of the queue, I've got eternal life, I'm going to show all the crowd, the guys. And he's gone to the back of the queue thinking, I thought I was keeping all the commands. and I can't, I, I can't do that. And it says that he, uh, verse 22, he says, he was sad at that saying and he went away grieved for great possessions. That's a really interesting word, isn't it? Grieved. What do you usually do when, when do you usually have grief? When you lose something permanently. Yeah? Death or massive change in your situation. That word um, translated Greek, grief is the word lupio. L-U-P-E-O. And what it means is deep emotional pain or a deep sense of loss. And the tense it's written in that is the continuing present tense. So what it's saying about this guy, you know, sometimes it's really good to dig behind these things. But what it's saying about this guy is that there is, he had this incredible sense of loss and grief and pain when Jesus asked him to give away some money. See, here's the problem. He thought that it was a loss to follow Jesus. And because he thought it was a loss to follow Jesus, it cost him eternal life. See, the problem's not money. The problem's what's going on in your heart. Because in the next chapter, there's another rich guy that Jesus encounters called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has a completely different response. Jesus comes and eats at his house and he ends up giving away all his money without Jesus asking him. Sorry, Zacchaeus. <laughs> he was a very little man. <laughs> but he was a rich guy. Rich guy's not the problem. Money isn't the problem. Where we put our trust is the issue. And the disciples come to Jesus after this, this, he's had this encounter with this rich young guy. And they say, like, Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples go, like, what hope is there for any of us if that's the case then? Because we're all ingrained in this culture that says it's all about 
security and money and provision and, and, and having enough. And Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. With God, anything's possible. In other words, you, don't, you can't do this by human methods. You, the way you enter the kingdom is by trusting God. It's a faith question rather than a mechanics or um, rule question. Are you getting this? Are you still following? Is this helpful? Okay. When Jesus says that it's hard for people who trust in riches to enter the kingdom, what he's saying there is the same as he said in that other parable I was talking about. He's saying, well, when you trust in riches and wealth for your security... You can't access the way the kingdom works and you can't access the blessings and favour of the kingdom. So you have to learn how the kingdom works. And partaking of God's blessing in the kingdom needs complete trust in him. So let's work on the trust aspect instead of the rule aspect. That's grace. Yeah? Getting it? Let's work on the trust aspect because how much you prepare to trust God will determine what you see of the kingdom manifest in your life. And, you know, quite honestly, there's, there's people out there and we're praying and pleading and begging and crying and wailing day after day, in and out, in prayer meetings, on Bible studies, in the quiet of our own rooms, tears flowing down our face, begging God to do something and it's not manifesting in our life, but we haven't learned to walk in trust in our finances. So we can't get in a position of trusting him in other things. Because God says something really interesting. He says, the finances have got a hold of your heart. And I'm after your heart too. And this whole kingdom thing works by where you put your trust. You see, people will do all sorts of things for money they won't do for God. Have you, have you noticed that these days? You know, one of the things that, that pastors talk about uh, quite a lot, which is a big change in the last 10 years, you know, like, how many of you have seen these things in the newspaper that say uh, church attendance is declining? Yeah? We, we haven't got as many believers as we used to have. Interestingly, there are actually more believers in the UK than there were 20 years ago. But there is a new phenomenon that means that church attendances aren't what they were. Because believers only come to church one week in three on average now. That's why attendances are declining. There's not less believers, there's less faithfulness. There's less desire to be amongst other believers. And, and I think that's a phenomenal thing. I mean, like they, they did this huge study of it. Uh, and they just released the results recently. And you see, people will do things for money they, they won't do for God. See, people will get up early for work and drive through a traffic queue for an hour and get out of the car, park the car, get out in the pouring rain, walk half a mile to save £2 on the car park to get into work for 8am or 9am. And yet they'll struggle to get to church for 10.30 on a Sunday when there's no traffic on a sunny day. You know, like... We do things for money we won't do for God. And Jesus is about, he's challenging our hearts on that. 
you know, we'll commute an hour or more for work, but we won't do it for church. You know, there's, there's a good saying, and I, I believe it wholeheartedly, it's worth the drive for the church that's alive. You know, it's no good going two minutes to the local church if it's not teaching you the gospel. If your life isn't being changed, it's, it's pointless. But we'll do it for work, we won't do it for God. The other thing we do is, you know, like we'll study and study for exams. How many of you love exams? Put your hand up if you love exams. How many of you study for exams or have studied hard for exams, either now or in the past? Right, so therefore, nobody loves exams, but we're all prepared to study for them. You've just confirmed that for me, haven't you? Scientific experiment there, just confirmed it for me. We're prepared to study for exams, even though we hate doing it. Why? So we can get the qualification to get the job, to get the security. But we won't study God's word to the same extent. You see, there is a word deficit in the body of Christ. We don't know the word. We, we sit and we listen to all sorts of, honestly, some of it is drivel. And we don't know it's drivel because we don't know the word. You know, Cheryl and I were looking at something and, and this lady, she was talking and talking and you go like, that? And, and these are people sitting there listening to it, cheering her on and you go, that is just totally wrong. But they don't know the word so they can't tell it's totally wrong. Jesus is saying, you've got to take this stuff seriously if it's going to work. And you've got to do it consistently. And, 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 and not just do things, you know, we need to switch it around and do things for God that we wouldn't do for work. Not do things for work we wouldn't do for God. Are you getting this? Why do people do that? It's because they trust money will be able to get them what they want in life. And Jesus is saying, there's the root of your problem. It's just not true. This is a major life reorientation thing he's saying. So, here we go. I'll finish off with this. We want to live by grace, don't we? We don't want to... Just, we just need to stop doing religion. And stop doing all that stuff... I, believing that we can please God because that rich young guy believed he could please God and he was wrong. We don't please God. He is pleased with us. We've got to learn how it works in the kingdom. That's what Jesus taught his disciples. So let's have a look at what Paul says about how this works in the kingdom. And I'm going to finish off here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This I say to you, it's verse 6. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes, where? In his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. I guess you've heard that, I mean, God loves a cheerful giver. And people come out, well, he means an hilarious giver. Honestly, I don't find anything funny about giving money away, but I do find, 
I do find I can be really cheerful about it. In fact, I delight in giving money away and blessing people. You know, if you know my life, you know that's true. You know, I, this is, this is, let me, let me, I'm not talking to Cheryl, okay. But in 30 years of marriage, you know, we go like, we'll, we'll see someone, we go, I think God's really moving me to, to bless them or give to this. And this, we'll go, we, we have this little thing like, how much do you think we should give? And, and we'll do it and we'll write it down and then we'll compare. And I'm there, I've got my pen poised with the checkbook. And I've got a number in mind. 30 years of marriage. Her number's always much bigger than mine. <laughs> and we always end up giving her number. <laughs> I've had to tear checks up before because Cheryl's upped it. Because we enjoy, because we know God works through it and we, we can see the power of being able to bless. This is saying the same thing as Jesus said in that parable. If you sow a little in proportion to what you bring in, you only trust God a little. It's a sign. It, you know, like, compute this is what, what Paul's saying. What, what your attitude is here is you, you need to use it to measure your attitude towards God. How much do I trust God to provide for me? How much do I trust God with my life? How much do I trust God so that I'll obey him? Now, it's really interesting this, because he then says, don't give under compulsion. And he says something, you know, you can't, can't get it from that translation. In that word compulsion means, don't do this by being pressurised into giving. That's grace. But he says something a bit deeper. He says, don't do it by being manipulated. When, when you get behind what he's saying, he says, just don't be fooled that you're giving in order to get. Because if you're fooled that you're giving in order to get, you will be manipulated. And honestly, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, but I bet... 90% of this room could put their hand up and go, yeah, I've given and I've been manipulated. I know at some point in time. I remember that day. You know, you, you know that that's a, it's like, you know, when you, you feel like pressured and you, you feel like you've got to give and there's this promise and you've been moved emotionally and you put your money in the offering basket and it disappears over there and you want to get it back. <laughs> I, you know, and, and there's these things like, you know, text now and we'll put your prayer on the offering and your family will be saved and this will be happening or send this money now and we'll send you this prayer cloth and you'll be healed god's blessings are not for sale you know i preached it i preached at another church in cambridge a couple of years back and at the end of my preach the pastor of this church and, and i love them to bits i think they're fantastic people it's just their culture. And at the end of this preach, this pastor got up and he preached for another 20 minutes. And, bit, and for 20 minutes, he told people that the amount that they gave would determine the level of anointing they received from me. And I wasn't going to pray for them until they had given. And the amount that they give would determine the amount of blessing they received when I prayed for them. You would laugh if it wasn't happening so frequently. 
That's what Paul's saying. We don't give under those circumstances. The best thing he can do under those circumstances is don't give a penny. Don't. You're not meant to be giving under any compulsion, any pressure, any manipulation. God doesn't want you to give to get. He wants you to give cheerfully because you know he blesses those whose hearts are after him to bless others. Don't get it back to front. And this is what he says. And if you've got that attitude, God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you have always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance of every good for every good work. Read that carefully. All sufficiently, you have all sufficiency for all things and an abundance for every good work beyond that. That's how we're meant to live. All sufficiency for all things and abundance for every good work. But it only comes by clicking into the kingdom way of doing things. All sufficiency for all things and abundance for every good work. Can we stand? Because I've finished. <laughs> but I need, uh, I need the musicians up. Because I want you to understand this. When he says all sufficiency for all things for every good work, that means your future is not determined by who is the government of this country. Because whoever it is, you have all sufficiency for all things for every good work. Your future is not determined by Brexit. Because whatever happens, you have all sufficiency for all things and abundance for every good work. Your, your future is not determined by what Donald Trump or Theresa May or anybody else says or does. Because you have all sufficiency for all things and abundance for every good work. Your future is not determined by whether your boss likes you or not. Because you have all sufficiency for all things, for every good work. Come on. This is how it works. You have whatever is facing you, whatever is overwhelming you, you have all sufficiency for all things, for every good work. That's how the kingdom works. That's what God wants to get us to. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, let go and trust me and you will have all sufficiency for all things, for every good work. That's worth shouting about, isn't it? Let's give him a shout. <laughs>